speaker to come up. Uh, our second speaker, I'm going to give his little bio here, uh, is Thomas Harper, he's a Lehigh Valley attorney. Uh, he's uh, spent several years uh, for the JAG Corps uh, in the military. Uh, he served in a very variety of positions, including prosecutor, rural defense counsel, and operational law attorney in the law board and rules of engagement in Afghanistan. More perfect is tonight's talk. He loves all, well, he loves all things geek. He's a massive Star Wars fan and collector who may or may not still carry his lunch in a Darth lunchbox. I hope you brought that tonight for show and tell. Thomas blogs and podcasts for The Legal Geeks. You'll never guess where you can find that, thelegalgeeks.com, using Star Wars to teach how a wide variety of legal topics. He regularly shares his love of Star Wars on the national stage and has presented at San Diego Comic Con, Star Wars Celebration, WonderCon, and DragonCon, meaning he's way overqualified to speak here at Paradise tonight. You can follow him on Twitter at, at Thomas L. Harper, uh, where you should post pictures of him making weird faces up here tonight. Uh, with no further ado, the Law of Star Wars. Good evening. Everybody, good my wife would beg to differ, so all the pictures that you guys will take, I will be blinking in all of them, despite my eyes functioning normally. So let's get into this. Tonight's agenda, Star Wars, yay! And the law, yay! With a lawyer, yay! Okay, hit the head with a beer mug in a second here. Okay, a little bit about me, you heard me, here's my all expense paid vacation to Southwest Asia in Afghanistan. Uh, my wife is what we would call an enabler in the South. More importantly, uh, we added a little Padawan to our family very recently. This is Evelyn Rose. All my cool Star Wars font did not make it through, so that's sad. But Evelyn, uh, we have a mini chlorine count checked. It's above Yoda and Anakin, so we're going to go on that front. As I said, or as you heard, Blogging podcast for the legal geeks and go all around the country. I'm still in recovery mode from San Diego Comic Con. We were out there talking the law of Star Wars, uh, Marvel MCU, all sorts of stuff. Had a little mock court martial. It was a lot of fun. And I've got I've got a pretty good feeling about tonight, uh, despite the fact that we are talking about the law. Star Wars will kind of carry things. Our first topic tonight is, you know. One that I'm sure is on, like, burned into your brain when you watch Star Wars. The, the very first time when you were four or five, when you watch A New Hope, you think, what a legal travesty it is that R2-D2 and C-3PO would be subjected to this kind of awful discrimination. That's what I thought of when I, when I first watched it, certainly. So let's, let's set the stage. We've got Moover the Bartender, uh, a face that only John and I could love. He uh, runs shop there in the canteen on Los Angeles at Tulane. We got Jemima's philosopher C3PO. Your little overweight blob of grease, R2D2. And a policy here they get tossed out of the cantina. No sooner had Luke and Obi Wan walked into the cantina than Moore singled them out discriminatorily and threw them right out of the bar. We don't serve your kind in here. That's something that you could only find in a Philadelphia area Starbucks. <laughs> So the first question I know that was on all of your minds when you first saw Star Wars was, is that legal? Don't worry about you know, the lightsaber battle in the, the cantina or Han Solo doing cool Han Solo things. You're wondering about that discrimination, and I know it. And so what we're talking about here is public accommodation laws. Yay! It's, it's the reason that like a tenth of a tenth of a percent 
of all law students went to law school to, to practice in this area, right? So public accommodation law, that's the area of law that's going to cover this sort of uh, situation here. And just to set the stage a little bit, you've got two, two areas of law that, that could possibly help out R2 and C3PO. The first at the federal level is the Federal Civil Rights Act of 1964. That's, that's your framework, um, in spite of what, how it may or may not be being enforced these days. The second, states are free to have their own uh, anti-discrimination or public accommodation laws, and many do. Uh, there are five states with no public accommodation law whatsoever. You can probably guess pretty quickly what area of country that is. I'm, I'm from North Carolina. We're one of the five states that, that proudly have no public accommodation law whatsoever. But what that doesn't mean is that you can discriminate against people. It just means that those states aren't adding any more protections. The Commonwealth here, as we sit, has its own public accommodation law. And what these laws do at the federal and state level is set up categories, categories of persons that says, you as a public accommodation, if you're running one of these places, you cannot discriminate and deny service uh, for most reasons just because you, uh, a person falls into one of these categories. So the first question that begs is where where do, the, do these public accommodation law, laws apply, and what is a public accommodation? It's not just government buildings or, or, or publicly available spaces or something like that, like a Starbucks that's sitting in the middle of a national park or a, um, a public park or something like that. In fact, both at the federal and the state level, private businesses fall squarely in the, the crosshairs of these laws. So if you're an establishment that is open to the public and you're serving food, drink, alcohol, if you're selling gasoline, uh, if you're offering entertainment, so your movie theaters, your music, uh, you know, concert halls, that sort of thing. All of these are covered under the public accommodation laws, both at the federal and the state level. So here we've got the Moss Eisley Cantina. Clearly, they're not really discriminating too hard about the folks that come in here. But you've got uh, like some crazy looking aliens. You've got a seven foot tall damn Wookiee that's walking around in here. You've got a drug smuggler that puts holes in, in people's chests sitting in a room. So I, I think it's fair to say that the Moss Eisley Cantina is a public, uh, is a public, or a uh, public, qualified with public accommodation law. Now, what categories do they cover? So under federal law and the Commonwealth, you can be all very proud of the state of Pennsylvania. We give no more protection than federal law, yet we have our own public accommodation law. So you can't discriminate on the basis of race. Can't discriminate on the basis of gender or sex. Can't discriminate against on, on the basis of national origin or ancestry, so nobody puts Jar Jar in a corner. You can't discriminate on the basis of religion, and for those Sith out there, you know, with the religious task force that's, or the religious liberty task force that's now in place, you're not going to have to bake any more Jedi birthday cakes anymore. So you can't discriminate against those Jedi. And if Obi-Wan wants to get ripped up as an old man in the canteen, then you can't discriminate against him either just because he's old and gray. Where does that leave our, our two rust buckets, though? Um, what I would say is that in many states, you have state public accommodation laws that are actually more expansive and more protective uh, than the federal law. You could probably also guess where, where some of those laws are. California is a great example. California has one of the most, one of the broadest public accommodation laws in the country. In addition to those categories that we went through that, that are covered on the federal level, California protects gender identity, sexual orientation, uh, and also marital status. So if you're a single person, you can't be thrown out of the bar. 
Um, but where does that leave these two droids, right? They don't really fit into any of those categories. And that's the real problem for these two. They're not human. And so, you know, naturally, Android law is not really a, a hot topic in the United States right now. We're not uh, on the cutting edge of trying to, to grant rights to your Roomba so that you can bring them out. Uh, but it begs the question, how do, we, how do we treat these droids? Well, do we treat them like in aliens? And for the, the people that can't see back there, that's Bishop. So if you've not seen aliens, he's a, an android that looks very near human. I was going to put data from Star Trek, but you can't cross the streams. I didn't want to like tear the, the fabric of time space here. Are we treating them more as humans? Or are we treating them like dogs that take your $100 dog bed and promptly lay next to them? Because if we're treating them more like pets or property, the public accommodation laws don't really uh, cover them. In fact, many states actually restrict you from, bringing, from where you can bring your pet. If you're a dog or maybe a cat owner that likes to bring your cat out in, in public places or your rabbit, you might have run into some of this stuff where you just can't bring your dog into the theater or some places like that. But really, the, the, the core, if you're looking at it within the Star Wars universe, it's almost undisputable that droids in, in every edge of the galaxy are treated as property. Um, if any of you guys saw the new Solo movie, the Han Solo movie, it kind of touches on that because Lando, Lando Calrissian, magnificently played by Donald Glover, um, has a droid that's fighting for droid rights. That goes right to the heart of this. They're, they're not treated as people, they're not treated as sentient beings, they're not treated as anything other than maybe some luggage, right? And so from that standpoint, the droids are in a lot of trouble if they try to bring a civil rights lawsuit uh, in the Tatooine Federal Court. They also run into another problem, because it's not clear in the movies, but if you read some of the books, poor Ruhr here is not just an angry bartender that doesn't want non-paying droids in his bar. This guy right here suffers from PTSD. He watched as his parents during the Clone Wars were murdered by mindless robots, by droid soldiers who killed them right in front of his eyes. And he suffers from nightmares and problems to this day. So I, I challenge you, go back and watch A New Hope, as if I have to twist your arm to do that. And watch this scene and think about the horror that's going through this poor man's mind as those two droids walk in and he's having to relive the murder of his parents. And in public accommodation laws in the United States, a public play, or private business, they don't have to accommodate threats to public safety. So if he's up there making the call that, hey, I, you can't really tell whether these guys are a threat or not, but droids have kind of been a problem in the Star Wars galaxy in the past. We kind of fought a whole war over it, the Clone Wars. He's probably within his rights to throw them out. So the result, they're kind of doomed. I don't know that I would take C-3PO and R2 on as clients. And really the big problem here is that you're going to need a change in the law. And so I don't think you'll find a court in the country, federal or state, that's willing to just read in an entirely new category this radical for choice. So I'm sorry, R2 and C-3PO, you're going to have to wait out by the landscape. All right, let's turn to everybody's favorite weapon of doom. Or, or, if you're an Imperial fan, effective military weapon, the Death Star. Is it a war crime? So what do we know about the Death Star? All right, so it's not a move. You got that, all right? You're like a, a mega fan like me if you got that straight. Basically, it's a big battle station that's built around a gigantic gun, all right? A planet-killing gun. 
and it's run by this high cheekbone asshole, Grandma Turkin. And for those of you that can't see in the back, as much hell as he gets, he eliminated all unemployment on Alderaan. So, you know, I think he needs to be remembered for that, maybe a bronze statue or something. So if you're the Empire, you spent 20 years building this thing, trillions upon trillions of credits, you want to use it. The, the famous line here from, from Admiral Mahdi, as they're discussing the Death Star, is that this is the ultimate power in the universe, I suggest we use it. And this was right before he went and filed a hostile work environment complaint against Darth Vader for choking him, because nobody should have to deal with that. But wait, the, the, there's a reason why you don't see Imperial JAG officers in the movies, it's because we'd all be dead and choked, uh, because we'd be like, but what about the rules for using weapons? And I know what you're thinking. It's war. What rules? Well, there are rules in real war. There's a whole body of international law, uh, the, the law of armed conflict, that governs exactly how we fight. Now, not every fighting force out there might adhere to these rules. <coughs> Russia. Uh, sorry, I got a little tickle in my throat. Uh, but they do exist, and they govern every inch of what we do. Uh, in the business, we like to call these the sacred texts. So where does that leave us here? So the first target for the Death Star, and I'm completely ignoring Rogue One and the attack on, uh, on both Jetta and Scarif Base here. Because those were top secret, we're just going to leave those to the side here. But the first real target is Alderaan. And what do we know about Alderaan? Well, it's a very beautiful place, lots of majestic mountains, none of which are CGI rendered, this is all legit. You don't have any weapons. You hear Leia tell Governor Tarkin uh, as he's about to blow up her planet that they don't have any weapons. It's a peaceful place. It's full of galactic hippies, right? These all Iranians would never hurt anyone. A fly. This, what kind of monster would target this kind of place? Well, here's Tarkin's argument. You can just close your eyes and imagine Peter Cushing's uh, dulcet tones of his, his British accent explaining this. We've got all run, sure. It's full of civilians. Uh, and peaceful people. But you've also got terrorists. You've got Bail Organ up here, played wonderfully by Jimmy Smits. I'd have Jimmy Smits like narrate my life uh, if he were available to do so. And then his stepdaughter, uh, Leia. These are two of the founders of the rebellion. And you've got some, some poor rebellion leadership that kind of hang out on all of them. Why? Because it's the perfect cover for running an organization like this. What rational person would expect that a bunch of terrorists would hang out in a very peaceful place? And there's a reason that they do this sort of thing, because under international law, as a civilian, you are what's called a protected person. So you cannot be intentionally targeted uh, if you are a civilian. Now, collateral damage happens, civilian casualties happen all the time on the battlefield, it's an awful thing. But generally, that's, that's the baseline rule. However, Governor Tarkin would look you square in the eye, with those magnificent cheekbones, and he would tell you they lose that civilian protect that civilian status, that protected status, the moment that they take up any kind of hostilities against the Empire. And even though Bail Organa and Leia may not have actively been pointing a blaster at anybody in the Empire, even though she's holding one right there, they forfeited their status by taking part in this terrorist organization. So they're valid targets, right? So that means he can blow up the planet with impunity, right? Well, wrong. You can't, under international law, indiscriminately target civilians. And you can't generally use weapons that are indiscriminate in nature. Along with that, there's a, a core foundational 
principle of international law when it applies to combat that there has to be proportionality, right? You can't, you can only use enough force to achieve a lawful military objective. And I'm sorry, but the entire planet of Alderaan just to kill a handful of people, maybe just Bail Organa and his wife, it's a little overkill. I think if, if I were standing, as I did before on active duty and teaching young soldiers, we just watch Star Wars. I'd be like, look, just don't do that. Just don't blow up Alderaan and you're all good. And they're like, oh, we're going to Iraq. So, it also, as, as good as Star Wars is at making things very black and white and simple, there's a perfect example of a very valid target just like 20 or 30 minutes later in the movie, and that's Yavin 4. Yavin 4, the, the uh, rebel base is there that they're operating out of. That's where they, they uh, send the mission to, to blow up the Death Star. Star Wars makes this nice and clean for us because there are literally no people on this planet, and I check Wikipedia, there are no people on this planet except for the rebel base, so it's just the terrorists, uh, or freedom fighters, depending on how you look at things, on this planet. Those folks are not civilians at all. They have, they are taking part in direct, or direct part of hostilities against the Empire. And oh, by the way, as the Death Star uh, continues its cruise and, and reaches Yavin, what happens? They launch 30 fighters to attack and destroy the Death Star, having just attacked an Imperial base and stolen the plans for that very purpose. So it's self-defense on top of that, right? So Yavin 4 is actually a very good example of a lawful military target. They can come in and blow that planet up, considering just the rebels are on it, and Tarkin would be perfectly within the, the law of war. Obviously, if Alderaan had shot first, they would also have a... Uh, it's, and speaking, speaking of shooting first, let's turn to everybody's favorite drug smuggler, uh, uh, scoundrel, whatever you want to call him, Han Solo. What's he right to shoot first? And I, I know, you know, purists out there uh, will agree with me that he shot first. Now, if you watch the movie, they've edited it, and the bounty hunter Greedo actually shoots at him first. But we're going to go with the original. And I just have to say that as a kid, watching Han Solo walk away from his Greedo smoking dead body coolly and flip what I thought was a quarter to the bartender <laughs> and tell him sorry about the mess and just leave was the coolest scene in any movie. That's the scene that hooked me on Star Wars. I was like, I don't know if I want to be like Han, but if I could be 10% that cool, we'll be all right. So let's talk about it. First, we're going to take a brief moment of silence for Greedo. Okay. Uh, this is the Rodia bounty hunter that, that confronts him, that confronts Han Solo in the bar. He says, Jabba the Hutt has a price on your head for dropping some uh, uh, your latest shipment. I'm here to collect on that, one way or the other. So he confronts him. What does he have? He has his blaster out. He has his blaster on Han, sits him back down on the table. Now, lawyers are, are lawyers. We go to law school to, to learn all the complexities of the law, right? You, you know, it's like a, you're playing a board game. We're the one... Uh, that one annoying player at the table who's read every line on the back of the box and you're like, excuse me, you don't pass go, you don't collect $200, go to jail. So this is a very complex rule here. Don't kill people, right? That's our, that's our baseline rule that we're doing here. Even jackass, rodian bounty hunters that, that come up on you, your general rule under the law is you're not supposed to kill people. But it begs the question, can you ever use force and justify so in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, which, if you, if you dig deep enough, does apply on the planet of Tatooine, where we are, you can use force, so it's justifiable, if you reasonably believe that it's immediately necessary to protect yourself 
against the use of unlawful force by another person. So that's great, right? End of story. Han Solo can shoot him, and, and we're all done, right? Not so fast. Because what, what does Han do? He doesn't kneecap him. He doesn't slap Greedo. He doesn't mace him. He takes his blaster and pops a hole right into Greedo's chest and then flips the bartender a Star Wars quarter and leaves. That's deadly force. And the law has some particular restrictions about your ability to actually use that level of force. We don't want everybody just making you know, the average bar the okay corral. So, under Pennsylvania law, you can only use deadly force if you believe it's immediately necessary to protect yourself from death, rape, or kidnapping. Three narrow categories, right? In addition, if, if those of you have heard of uh, the state of Florida and some of the wild shit that goes on down there, uh, unlike a state like that where you can just smoke somebody and, and claim to be scared anywhere, in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, you have a duty to retreat. So before you use deadly force, before Han pulls his blaster and smokes him, he's got a duty to retreat if he can. Now there are some exceptions to that. The first exception is, like in many other states, you don't have to retreat if you're in your own home. They call that the castle doctrine, right? You shouldn't have to retreat out of your own home if you're facing uh, death or, or serious bodily injury. But where does Han live? He doesn't have like a two-story tutor in the suburbs. He's like a hobo that lives on his car with his dog, right? So the Millennium Falcon really is the only thing that Han Solo could justify as his home. Um, I don't even, I think Han is so cheap that he probably didn't even rent a room at the cantina. He's just like probably parked there for free, hoping they don't boot the Millennium Falcon. And he's going to go back on board. So he's not on the Millennium Falcon when he shoots him. He's in the bar that's next to it. You also don't have to retreat in the state of Pennsylvania when you're at work, which is a little weird. I don't know. I guess, how many, I guess these days it's a little more common to face somebody, unfortunately, work. But where does Han work? Does he have a, a little shop in a strip mall like this, uh, you know, getting hired to, to smuggle drugs and, and uh, desperate terrorists across the, the galaxy? No. Han works at places exactly like the cantina. That's where he does his business, all over the galaxy. And in fact, right before Greedo confronted him so rudely, he was just doing a deal, just conducting business with an old man and a young, annoying kid who wanted to pay a little bit and avoid imperial detection and fly across the galaxy to, uh, to Alderaan. No imperial entanglement facilities, right? So he was doing business in the very cantina that he shot in. So for Han, this is great, right? You can do, uh, your, your place of work is just about any seedy establishment that you could go in. Ironically, also the same type of place where you're likely to get uh, hit up by a bounty hunter trying to kill you. So uh, unlike C-3PO and R2-D2, who I would coldly just reject from my office and tell, you know, to, to, to go beat their feet on the pavement, I would take Han as a client. I would probably give him a little extra legal advice and maybe warn him not to trust his son later on in life. But for this purpose, if he gets charged by the tattooing authorities for Rio's death, come on board. That's all I've got. You can follow me. Please reach out to me on Twitter. Check out the legal base. Thank you. So, uh, uh, as the whole that is about Greedo's uh, eventual fate, um, how legal is it to eat a sentient being um, when Wolverine just do for drama that? Yeah. You could also apply the same same question to Ewoks. Uh, 
feast upon stormtroopers. That didn't make. That was left on the cutting room floor. Uh, generally, the desecration of a body is frowned upon, uh, even in, in uh, backward states like mine in North Carolina. So I think uh, they, they have to keep it a little quiet, keep it away from imperial authorities. Any other questions? Okay. Well, there we're here, and I missed you guys last time, so no chance. No, okay. So you first. This does count as legal advice. Only the Star Wars universe. <laughs> So I'm a, oh, I have a quick question. So, for example, if someone puts a gun on your head outside, uh, will you still have to try to leave? Under that situation, probably not. Because it's it's not that you... The duty doesn't mean that you have to try to run away and then immediately take a bullet in your head as you try to outrun uh, something that's traveling at a high velocity. It means that you, if you do have the opportunity, and you have to take it. But it's important to know it's, it's judged on a reasonable person standard. So when a jury is in the box and you're in the defendant's chair uh, trying to explain yourself, I don't think you're going to convince 12 jurors in any state or any or any corner of the galaxy that you were wrong to not run away when a gun pointed right to your head. So sh you know, pull your blaster and shoot away. All right, I saw another question here. Uh, hi. So, uh, Recently, there have been certain legal uh, programs to try to push the United States to recognize the personhood of non-humans, for example, uh, apes and um, elephants, particularly. Uh, do you force, what sort of legal arguments do you, do you foresee the same kind of legal arguments that are pushing for their uh, legal personhood applied to, for example, drones who uh, are manufactured on mass and can change their personalities or swap personalities, for example, and stuff like that. So interestingly, and this is just a side note, the High Court of India actually ruled that the Ganges River has the same, is recognized as a, a person for all intents and purposes and has all the rights and, and abilities or, or uh, protections of a person. So the, the Ganges River could flow into the cantina no problem and drink up all the blue milk in there, but not r 2 and C-3PO. I would also ask you, have you seen who's in Congress these days? <laughs> and, and you know, at least for the foreseeable future, they can't even get a budget passed to fund anything. I don't think that they're going to be taking a leap to recognize robots. Now, the, the, if I had to put any amount of money on it, I would say that it's at least foreseeable that you'll be able to get like a service pet, as a, uh, or you know, like a little robot uh, classified as a service pet, or like a, a comfort a comfort Luba, something like that. If that's the case, then bring R2-D2 on in and you, know, you guys can hang out. But yeah, I, maybe in a decade, I don't know. Time for one more quick question. You shall not Sad, thank you for your presentation, first and foremost. Uh, so my question is more as to the legality of economics. The legality of economics, particularly to the construction of the desktop. So how legal or how much more can you bend the law to substantiate the funding or the funding of billions or trillions of dollars into initiatives that can really, uh, for all sorts of purposes at least, to end lives, to end billions of lives at a time, uh, or to continue lives, or so on. So, so that's a good 
A, right, I think what the Empire did was probably illegal as hell, <laughs> just to put a fine point on it. They were, they were uh, just getting that money from taxing. They were stripping planets. They were enslaving populations. They did about every bend and snap of the law that you could to get this thing built. And I don't know how the hell they got the, the second Death Star built like that, but I imagine like large portions of the galaxy are just wrecked. When it comes to the real world, unfortunately, you know, there have been plenty of people that have tried to make the argument that you know, I don't have to pay income tax because I don't support the war on terror, or you pick your government initiative, and that hasn't worked out well for any of those folks. Um, and the, the IRS will follow them to their grave. So in the real world, you can't make those kind of value judgments about the taxes uh, that are going forward. I think a great example of what can be done is like social activism. So if you saw the, you know, the Edward Snowden bit with uh, all the revelations about what the NSA was doing, you didn't see massive numbers of Americans just stop paying their taxes because they don't want to fund stuff like that. But you saw a mass outcry about things. And I would apply it to the, the separations at the border right now too. Again, nobody's stopping you know, paying the, uh, the, the federal government what it's owed under law. But that kind of collective outrage, that kind of activism uh, can really make a difference. Um, unfortunately, the Empire saw that, they, and they used all that money to build a thing that would immediately silence that activism. I think the question might be more about the percentage of GDP being built towards Like 99.5% you know, of whatever the Galactic Empire was. And why is there a Geneva Convention clause about that? Yeah, the Geneva, when it comes to, to weapons of mass destruction, the Geneva Convention is like, we're going to tightly regulate every... You know, every weapon. And the United States has all these regulations about uh, the, the development and implementation of new weapons. Um, autonomous weapons are a great example of that as, as we're going right now. Um, they take something like a nuclear bomb and they just put it over in a box. And they're like, I ah, don't worry about those little guys over there. And I know that's a weird answer, but it, like, it literally is like that, where they just fence it off and they're like, don't worry about that. All right. Thank you so much, Thomas. So, uh, let's see another 